Welcome to the Pharma Forum podcast. My name is Dominic Tyre, and I'm Pharma Forum's Creative and Editorial Director. In this installment, I spoke to Philip Cruz, who's GlaxoSmithKline's Vaccines Medical Director for the UK and Ireland, and a paediatrician by training, about vaccine development and distribution. We looked at the discovery and commercialization of new vaccines and the clear pre and post COVID differentiation that we've seen. We also talked about the impact anti-vax misinformation has had on vaccine uptake in recent years and whether COVID has changed that. You can find more details of this episode, including a download link to the podcast and information about other installments in the series at pharmaforum.com forward slash podcast. The Pharma Forum podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher and Podbean, where you can find and subscribe to it by searching for Pharma Forum. Philip, welcome to the Pharma Forum podcast. I wonder if we could start off with, uh, you can give the listeners a quick introduction to yourself. Thank you very much and a pleasure to be here. So my name is Philip Cruz. I'm the Vaccines Medical Director for GlaxoSmithKline here in the UK and Ireland. I've been with the company for more than a decade, but in the pharmaceutical industry, almost um, 16 years. Wow, time flew by. But yes, um, you know, with my experience in terms of vaccine development and what we call medical affairs, you know, this gives me a view of really what's happening in terms of the world of vaccine development and how it applies to the pandemic. So looking at uh, what's happening in the world of vaccine development, or, or rather pre-COVID, what was happening in, in terms of vaccine development, what did the picture look like um, from your perspective pre-COVID? I think what's happening right now really is with a banner headline of unprecedented, and that's all caps, all bold fonts, mm. because really what happened right now is going away from the traditional vaccine development model. So what you see previously in terms of vaccine clinical development is a linear process. So it goes from early clinical stages or early clinical phases up until you go to preclinical and then transfer to clinical. Because it's a huge investment, you have to be methodical in your approach in terms of getting the funding for the next step of clinical development. And that's why it had to go through a linear process, plus the high failure rate, let's say, of an asset or a, a vaccine or a medicine in development to go all the way through registration from bench or laboratory research. So that high failure rate of research, together with the high cost of investment, provides that time frame where usually it will take around from 10 to 15 years. But looking historically, it's really hard to predict. I mean, there are some diseases where it's been decades or even really long times before discovery to coming up with a vaccine. So yes, that's, that's the main challenge, really. And if you look historically, the, the quickest one from discovery of, let's say, the pathogen or the virus or the bacteria to when the vaccine became available, I think would be mumps, where you had three years from discovery in 1945 up until having an inactivated vaccine in 1948. But do note, like for, for malaria, it's been more than a century from discovery until having a vaccine that can be given to patients. But yeah, so these are the challenges that go. And now how it has evolved right now from that traditional mode of vaccine development, it has now become 
I should say more streamlined, accelerated, because with a pandemic that has this kind of global effect and a public health emergency, you have to be agile. You have to look at steps where you can accelerate. So do know that there are no shortcuts there. It's all about acceleration where investment has been given up front by supranational organizations we call like governments so that companies and their research teams can do the development at a quicker pace and somehow working more agile in having different phases run through uh, at the same time or having even regulatory authorities look at it in real time. So you kind of save some some time there. Uh, and this has been proven to be the crucial part of uh, the current vaccine development landscape. And so if, if as you did, you would characterize um, vaccine development pre-COVID as very much a linear process. Um, I suppose in, in business terms, the, the industries typically looked on vaccines as being more sort of steady growers, perhaps, rather than the um, superstars in their in their product portfolio. But if it were if it were a linear process before COVID, how was that? How how would you characterize uh, the vaccine landscape um, uh, uh, that we, we we currently see? So what we're seeing right now is a culmination of everyone's efforts. So. I think nowhere in in history have you seen really uh, a concerted effort, a unified effort to get a vaccine or medicine up until uh, uh, development. So everyone's working on it. That really helps because it's all about teamwork. It's all about having everyone um, kind of consolidate all their their learnings into one united effort. And that's why you see right now in the landscape different modes of Uh, vaccine technologies or even medicines. Uh, You have different modes of therapeutics. And this is great. This is comforting because it's like humanity at its finest, where, uh, you know, everyone that has that competency is contributing to to mankind, humankind. So yeah, it's it's a great time to to be a a scientist and, and to be a patient, actually. And in, in terms of um, your, your work within GSK um, and how companies such as GSK look at look at vaccines de- de- development, has that changed your standing? Or not personally necessarily your, your standing, but has that changed the standing of, of vaccines within the corporate environment as well? I, I imagine that all of a sudden there must be a whole heap of, of uh, focus, of maybe of pressure on, on you and your, your colleagues at the moment. I think really where we want to see this in terms of the perspective of vaccine development at what stage uh, we are kind of looking or focusing at. For example, what my point being is for those like the mRNA technologies, that wasn't developed overnight. That was in development even before, even a decade before. People were already looking at these different platforms where they were not really going into, let's say, full steam ahead in terms of uh, vaccine development, but kind of looking at other ways to refine the approach. However, now, borne by the pandemic, we uh, people had to really, you know, have that uh, courage, let's say, to pursue these and with the right investments. And a key, the key term here is really the investment, because ultimately it's all about you know, working with uh, these resources to come up with that uh, outcome that uh, that is desired. Because do note, you know, statistics is really against uh, vaccine development because 
for example, in phase three, even 30% of vaccines in development fail. So, you know, there's that risk that goes into it, and especially when you look at it from a business side, because every uh, business opportunity, you want to get that, uh, let's say, cost back into research and development because it's a life cycle, as we call it. You know, vaccine development continues. It doesn't stop with having a vaccine um, jabbed into a patient because ultimately it's all about how you look at uh, clinical trials, how do you look at effectiveness, you measure data on the impact, and therefore you can refine how this vaccine uh, is given to patients on a broader scale. And I wanted to, to look next at, uh, to get your thoughts on some of the challenges in terms of vaccine distribution. I mean, we're, we're talking now, of course, in, in February 2021. Um, we've heard uh, just yesterday, in fact, that the Prime Minister um, set out his roadmap for trying to open up the country. Uh, and um, certainly when, when this particular episode is, is published in, in March 2021, we should be, fingers crossed, some way down down the line or moving towards that more of an opening up of the, the country from the lockdown restrictions. And clearly a key part of that is going to be the ongoing rollout of, of, of vaccines of all sorts. Um, in terms of that, that rollout, the vaccine distribution, do you talk a bit about where traditionally the challenges might have been pre-COVID, uh, as we tend to have to divide everything up uh, nowadays? <laughs> but also um, where you see those, those distribution challenges at, at, at the moment. The key message here is all about vaccine coverage. It's all about uptake because the success of any vaccination program is on the level of uptake a population gives for the certain vaccine. For example, for measles, we lost our measles free status um, two years ago, and therefore we're playing catch up and hopefully we get a resurgence of our coverage to levels which are considered um, realistic and ideal. So therefore, there's still room uh, for acceptance, let's say, of, of vaccines in, in the program. So that has been the main challenge. And of course, when you speak of distribution, there also is the topics of, let's say, um, of maintaining the proper storage conditions or cold chain, maintaining it at two to eight degrees for most vaccines. And therefore, you have all of these factors uh, incorporated. And it's all about also the way the vaccine is distributed. Um, and again, uh, you know, given that uh, these vaccines come at the schedule, you need to have an efficient manner of telling patients when they need to come back for their succeeding doses. So these are all the factors that go into how a vaccine program can be measured as successful. And then in, in terms of vaccine programs, in terms of uh, GSK's own in involvement in um, COVID vaccine research, can you tell me a bit about um, your, your company's recent deal with, with CureVac? Uh, what will that involve? I think it's leveraging upon each uh, one's strengths because ultimately it's all about a synergy, uh, a collaboration. And ultimately, vaccine development should not stop. We should always look at opportunities where we can leverage upon each other's strengths. And for the one that GSK went into a deal with uh, CureVac, it's all about, as I said, leveraging on each other's strengths. And, and it's something that hopefully will provide a solution in the future of all the concerns that we have at the moment, such as uh, having this variance uh, that, that is evolving because as we know, it's all about understanding how a virus behaves. And that's 
key to coming up with a solution is, of course, understanding the behavior and then ultimately tweaking the solution to adjust and address that uh, specific, let's say, uh, variant that, that evolves or um, everything else that goes into the um, complexity of addressing uh, viral infections. And you mentioned earlier that um, the, that the, the huge efforts that the, um, the industry, that the whole life sciences uh, wider sector has seen in terms of the development of, of COVID vaccines and the shortening of timelines, it really has been uh, humanity at its finest. And I, I, I would certainly agree with you on, on, on that point, and I'm sure all of our listeners would as, as well. But in terms of something that's been less um, less fine around humanity, I, the, I personally would certainly place sort of, uh, anti-vaccination misinformation in, into that camp. From your uh, time during the industry, uh, as you mentioned, um, more than sort of 16 years in, in pharma, what sort of impact over the years have you seen this uh, anti-vax uh, misinformation have on vaccine uptake? Yes, and this is very significant to address. And what you mentioned about misinformation can sometimes be lack of information. And that is a significant percentage of people that have uh, somehow doubts about getting vaccines. So they need to have access to information of just understanding what they are going to receive or what their child is going to receive. And also a significant factor is how vaccines are administered. It could be something that could be logistic, such as access. I mean, when we did a market research at the beginning of the pandemic, where we looked at uh, UK parents' views of vaccines in light of COVID-19 in May 2020, we surveyed around 2,500 parents. And we found out that parents are still very supportive of vaccines, with 93% of them happy for their children to be vaccinated generally, and 29% more likely now than before the pandemic to take up vaccinations for their children or themselves. However, it also found that only 27% are comfortable attending a medical center for these vaccines, down from 91% pre-pandemic. So this is where you have to be mindful of what those concerns that parents might have. Um, you know, in terms of scheduling a vaccine appointment or, you know, just being reassured that the vaccination center has, you know, all of these measures to really reassure parents that, you know, infection control measures are in place. So these are uh, the pieces of information that is very significant to address because it's all about listening to what uh, parents and patients are concerned of and then addressing them. You know, that's why we also want to focus on education of healthcare professionals, making sure that they feel confident of communicating uh, messages uh, around um, their patients. And so if that's uh, parents and, and patients, how about on a, on a governmental level? What sort of changes have you seen in terms of the, the government's approach to both COVID vaccines and maybe the, the broader vaccination portfolio? We, we have so much focus, understandably so, on, on COVID at the moment, but uh, vaccines have such an important role to play across a, a wide range of diseases. Have you seen any, any changes uh, from a, a governmental perspective? 
And of course, this will always be a challenge, but the government is adequately looking at measures, let's say, that would determine if, if a vaccine is successful. You, so you have those metrics, we call it the measurement parameters or indicators that would give you an indication where you need to catch up. So there are areas in the UK where uh, vaccination coverage rates can be improved. So it's all about finding these areas, listening to uh, local stakeholders and understanding whether they have doubts or any concerns and then addressing them right then and there because it's all about understanding being aware and then you know and and providing solutions uh, be it education or be it support because when when you listen to some parents or, or or respondents in surveys, you know they they want to take their child for vaccinations, but they've had let's say experience issues and challenges around having a, a practice closed or an appointment canceled by GP practices or limited appointments. So you, you just need to be aware of this and give support where, where needed. So uh, Philip, finally, then I'd just ask you to look in, into the, the short term, into the medium term future, and give me your thoughts on what's next uh, um, in terms of, of vaccines, particularly in, in the fight against uh, COVID. I mean, what what should listeners be be looking out for? What what sort of um, trends might they expect to see coming coming through? I think right now, what we need to be aware of is leverage on the gains and address the pains. The gains being there's a health consciousness that we have given that of, of the pandemic. And we, we saw that last year when, when the flu season was its height where uh, we achieved our, the target of getting people vaccinated against influenza. In fact, there was a shortage of supply towards the end of last year. And thankfully, I was able to get my, my flu vaccine early this year when supply uh, uh, was back uh, in full swing. So it's all about addressing that, that new uh, health consciousness and uh, basically addressing misinformation as well. So addressing those pains, uh, mm-hmm. giving the proper access. I mean, you can always visit the NHS website, NHS Choices for uh, more information. And please also just um, when, when your GP tells you that you have a schedule that you need to uh, come into the surgery to get your uh, vaccinations or some health uh, checkups, please do uh, comply and abide with those appointments because it's very difficult. The healthcare staff at the surgeries and the GP clinics really take a lot of resource just to call and recall patients back into uh, to fulfill their appointments. So um, yes, be aware and be prepared. And if you have any questions to ask them before your visit. So again, during the time of pandemic, you minimize any um, time or interactions that, that can be addressed uh, online or via the phone. Excellent. Well, and hopefully we can very much uh, leverage all of the, the, those gains that, that you mentioned. But for now, Philip, thank you very much for joining me on the Pharma Forum podcast. My pleasure, and thank you very much for having me. And that concludes episode 33 of the Pharma Forum podcast and my discussion with GlaxoSmithKline's Philip Cruz. You can find more details of this episode, including a download link for the podcast and information about other installments in the series at pharmaforum.com forward slash podcast. The Pharma Forum podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher, and Podbean, where you can find and subscribe to it by searching for Pharma Forum. And don't forget to visit our website to sign up for daily or weekly email pharmaceutical news and analysis bulletins, and follow us on Twitter, where we are at Pharma Forum. Pharma Forum.